Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, our text this morning begins at verse 1 and runs to verse 18. On Thursday night, our Monday Thursday service, we looked at the previous section where Jesus was taken from Golgotha and comes to his final place of humiliation, the the garden tomb. Indeed, we've been following Jesus along particular places that are vital for us in our salvation. Gethsemane, the house of Caiaphas, the Praetorium, Gabbatha, Golgotha, and then the garden tomb. But, But where there's a garden, there's necessarily a gardener. And we'll see how it is that Jesus is the gardener of a new creation this morning. But in order to see it, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do ask that through Jesus, your son, you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would open our eyes of faith, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Indeed, stir our hearts and affections this morning that we might rest in you once again. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So, G- so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's early Sunday morning. It's still dark. On this first day of the week, in just an hour or two, it will begin moving from darkness to dusk to the light of the day. And we're heading back to the garden. We are following Mary Magdalene on her way out of the city, on her way to that tomb where her Lord was buried. Why is, why is Mary going? Why is Mary going to that tomb? We're not sure why. Is she checking on the grave before meeting up with others who would help finish the preparation of Jesus' body to prevent a stench from corruption and decay? Does she have a, a nagging concern about Jesus' body? Has she heard the rumors in the city that, that there were plots and plans that people were hatching that, to try to somehow steal Jesus' body from the grave? Or, or was she worried that Joseph of Arimathea didn't intend for Jesus to remain in his new family tomb? That somehow Joseph was going to move the body? We're not sure what drew her back to this place, back to the garden. But it's fitting that we are here with her in the garden. After all, this entire passion narrative, the narrative of Jesus' suffering on the cross that began in John 18, it, it starts with a garden and it ends with a garden. You remember where John 18 starts, right? After the, the teaching in the upper room, John 18 brings us to a garden called Gethsemane. And we have stood in that garden. We have watched with Jesus as he prayed and as he was betrayed. We, we've seen the faithlessness of Judas and the foolishness of Peter. And above all, we saw the spotlight shine there upon Jesus, upon his person and upon his work. We have heard him say, I am. And we saw the Roman soldiers fall back and fall on their faces in obedience to the I am that I am. And we heard him speak of his work of, substitution, of substitutionary sacrifice. You have me, let the others go, as he substitutes for them. And so it's fitting for us to, to see that John's narrative of all that Jesus has done for us and for our salvation is framed by these gardens. The, the Garden of Gethsemane, this garden tomb, and in between lie the paradigmatic events that are so necessary for us to be redeemed from the curse of sin. But, but my friends, cast your mind back. 
Cast your mind back through Holy Scripture and what you'll find is that all that is necessary for us and our salvation falls out in this story that moves from garden through gardens to a garden. Isn't that how the biblical story starts? In a garden? There in Genesis 2, we're told that God himself prepared a garden. Genesis 2.10, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. You see, God himself was the first gardener. And he made human beings and placed them in that garden to, to care for it. Genesis 2.15 tells us the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Working the garden meant not just caring for the present plots, the, the garden that God had made. Rather, God intended for Adam and Eve to, to cultivate the, the world, to subdue the wilderness, to drive the borders of the garden until they covered the entire earth. And they were to keep it. They were to guard that garden from any potential evil or, or harm that might enter in. But, but they didn't guard the garden, did they? Instead, a serpentine evil made its way into the garden, and they listened to its voice, the voice of the enemy. And because of that, they were thrust out of the garden into the wilderness. And, and when Adam and Eve went out of the garden to the east, and they, they turned back to the west, what did they see? At the east of the Garden of Eden, God placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, from that point on, as our first parents were placed, were thrust out of the garden, they looked back longingly for the Garden of Eden, desiring to make their way back home, back to a place of newness, a world made new, longing for that time when the serpentine power would be crushed under the heel of Eve's offspring. And the Old Testament offers many, many promises that this world that mixes beauty and barrenness, this world that mixes delight and death, it'll be made new once again. It'll become a garden of unalloyed delight and beauty and goodness once again. For example, in Isaiah 55 verse 13, you have the promise, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You see? God promises over and again that he will make the world a garden again. And so it's fitting for us to find ourselves in this garden, in this garden place where is this tomb and it should be surprising then in this garden for us to see gardening happen for if you look carefully if you look with eyes of faith and if you look with a, a mind of imagination you can see all of the elements necessary for a garden a, a, a garden in which a new world might emerge beautiful fruits of of truth and beauty and 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 goodness after all, here you have, you have open soil, 
places that might be receptive to, to new life, to, to new hope. For, for when Mary Magdalene co- comes back to this area, what does she find? She, she finds an, an open hole, right? Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. Mary doesn't even stay to investigate what the open soil means. No, she runs back first to John's house, then to Peter's house, running as fast as she can. And when she gets there breathless, what does she say? Verse 2, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. It's going to be the constant refrain. Mary will have three different times. She'll say something like, they have taken the Lord away. And we don't know where they've laid him. That's, that's one way of thinking about that open hole, the, the plowed soil that was present there in the garden. But there are other ways of seeing what was happening here. Seeds of promise, seeds of evidence that, that could be planted. For both Peter and John start running to the garden they're running to the open soil. They're running to the tomb. And, and John gets there first and he, and he bends down because the doorway was, was lower, low enough for a stone to be rolled in front of it. He, he leans down and he sees linen cloths lying on the bench. But then Peter, he goes right into the tomb and he too sees the linen cloths, which Joseph and Nicodemus had, had filled with spices, myrrh and aloe. They were all rolled up and set in one place. And then he notices the head covering folded up and set in another place. And then John himself finally goes in and he sees all the same things. Well, what did they think about all that? Did they cast their minds back to just a few months before when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead? How did Lazarus come out of the grave? You remember? John 11 tells us the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. That's how Lazarus came out when Jesus raised him from the dead. But this, this is is strange. This is different. Because if, if the body was stolen, why would the grave robbers take time to unwrap the body and then to tidy up the whole place? Surely no one was carrying a naked, dead body around with them. But, but if, if the body was buried elsewhere, why wouldn't the grave diggers take the body as well as the linens with them as it was and simply place it in a new tomb? What did it all mean? Did their mind remember that seed of promise that Jesus had said in John chapter 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Did their minds recall what Jesus had said in the upper room? You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it takes place, you might believe. Could it be that this is how Jesus would bear much fruit? Could it be that this is how Jesus was returning to the Father? 
Could it be that was what John believed because he didn't fully understand the scriptures? That was his testimony. John saw, verse 8, and believed, verse 9, for as yet they, Peter and John, did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. What is this but some seeds? Seeds of promise, seeds of evidence, placed in that open soil, that open hole of the tomb. And yet as John and Peter make their way back to their homes in the city, Mary is still there. Her tears, wetting herself, watering the ground, everything else she comes in contact with. And though through her grief and her sadness and her panic, she cannot see clearly, she cannot think clearly, Mary wants to see what Peter and John saw. And so she goes to the tomb mouth and she leans down and she sees something different than what the two men saw. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She sees two angels sitting on either side of the bench where the linen cloth and the the head covering was. Two angels sitting on the bench where Jesus' body had been. Two angels sitting on either side of where the once-for-all bloody sacrifice had been placed. Two angels, just like the two angels, hovering over the mercy seat depicted in the, in the Holy of Holies in the temple, just across the city from where Mary was. Two angels who undoubtedly had smiles on their faces when they asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? Of course, not all tears are an evil. They often water the ground as we wait for the curse to be undone, for the thorns and thistles to be gone, while we wait for the world to be made new. What was required for this gardening to bring forth the full fruit of the new creation with its open soil and seeds and and watering, what was required was a gardener. And when Mary arrives and she turns around, the gardener is there. Verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. For some reason that we don't know, was it her grief? Was it for God's glory? We're not sure. Mary cannot recognize Jesus, even as she turns toward him. Even when he speaks to her, she doesn't know who he is. Even when when he's asking her, whom are you seeking? But she supposes him to be the gardener. My friends, she's exactly right. Because this is the one who planted the garden in Eden all those millennia ago. 
And this is the one who had inspired the prophets to long for the day when the curse would be reversed and the world would be made fruitful once again. And this is the one who had suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the one who on the sixth day, bearing the wrath and curse of God, as the one who stands as the second Adam, is presented to the entire world, both Jew and Gentile, with the words, Behold the man. And this is the one who on the seventh day, having completed his work on the cross, having said it is finished, rested and knew that his work was very good. And this is the one who on the first day of the week was bringing about a new creation. It's just as G.K. Chesterton said in his book, The Everlasting Man. On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in the semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. My friends, here is the gardener. This is the one who makes all things new. This is the one who opens the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's what happened on the first Easter Sunday. And that's why we worship on the first day of the week. Because the new creation has begun and the world has changed and all things are made new. How is it? How is it that the world's changed? Why has it changed? Because in the garden, in this garden tomb area, the second Adam crushed the serpent's head. Here in this garden tomb area, sin and law no longer threaten. Here at the garden, death no longer holds us in fear. Here at the garden, the devil is a defeated foe because Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And all that is evil and sad and horrible shall become undone because all must be well. And my friend... He will make sure that the new heavens and the new earth will come to fruition and that all the saints shall rise and that we shall drink of the river of life and we will eat of the tree of life and we will take those leaves from the tree of life which are for the healing of all harms. But how do we come here? How do we come to this garden, this garden of Eden made new? We do so through the new confession that Jesus the gardener offers to us. Verse 17, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Friends, to this point in John's gospel... Jesus has repeatedly called God his God and repeatedly called God his Father. But here, he tells us, those of us who've put our trust in Jesus Christ, those of us who have rested our hearts in this gardener, that when we have rested our hearts in him and have believed in him, we are invited to call God our God. And we are invited to call God our Father. What was it that John said at the very beginning of his gospel? To all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So I ask you this morning, do you want your world to become new? 
Do you want to be made new? Do you want to find your way back home again? Home to the garden, back to Eden. Well, so my friends, believe in the name of Jesus. Trust in him. Rest in him. Hope in him. Follow him. Believe in Jesus, the gardener. Because this is the one of whom we declare this morning, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, I do pray that you would stir our hearts to to truly rejoice this day. Because you, the great gardener, you are making the world new. And for every one of us who's put our trust in Jesus Christ, you declare, if anyone's in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, Lord, you have granted us grace to participate in this new world coming now. We don't yet see it, but we know it's coming because the gardener has been raised from the dead and he shall accomplish his purpose. And so, Jesus, we pray, grant us grace to worship you, the risen king. Grant us grace to follow hard after you because you are worthy. Grant us grace this day to rejoice and be glad and to celebrate because you have been raised from the dead. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.